Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you all. Uh, So tonight, we are going to remember something that literally altered human history. Uh, That is not an exaggeration at all to say that. This is an event that we remember that changed literally everything. But here's the thing, though. Um, This is a a very common symbol uh, that's become artwork, really. And so tonight, what we don't want to have happen is that this ends up being just an empty ceremony or that it's just this uh, emotional tradition, like tradition that we have that tugs on the heartstrings. And we definitely don't want it to be just a a religious check in the box. I remembered what Jesus did for me. We want to take time to slow down and really, really consider what this means. And what this changed for you personally. That is our hope. Like what I've been praying for all week long. What I've been praying for all day long. What I came into my office tonight and prayed before the service. Is that you would slow down and ask yourself a couple of questions tonight. That you would say, Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what does that mean for my life. Because what we can do with this is we can just make this a symbol. We can make this a nice, pretty little artwork that we just we have in our homes. We have tattoos. We have hanging around our necks. We have on clothing. And none of that is wrong. I'm not saying that that's wrong. But if we're not careful, it turns into a meaningless piece of art rather than something that altered human history and something that means something for you tonight. So there's a couple things to consider, too. Some of us are here, and we know Christ as our Savior. Like, we understand what Christ did. Some of us are here, and we don't know Christ as Savior. We're not there yet with Him. I never want to take for granted that everybody is just a follower of Christ because they're here on a Good Friday service. But again, what does that mean for you personally? And what we're going to do tonight is a very hands-on way of remembering this. Because if you've ever come to a Good Friday service at Quaybog, you know this is something that we participate in. Because there's something, I think, different about just hearing than there is hearing and actually doing and participating in. And so there's a, a couple passages of Scripture that I wanted to read and start us off with tonight just to give us a sense of, of how this affected New Testament believers those that were in the shadow, so to speak, of the cross. So the first one uh, that we have up, PJ, is from uh, Colossians. And it's, it's this idea that your sin, like, it belongs here. And this is a symbol of freedom. Like, do you know that the things that you struggle with, the sins that you struggle with, like lust and anger and pride and being judgmental and gossiping, and the fear that you feel, and the hopelessness even maybe that you feel, all those kinds of things, right? Sins and struggles. It's like, do you realize that there's freedom at the cross? And so a couple passages, again, uh, first one, uh, I want to be able to just to think through tonight. 
He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. So knowing that we all are guilty, knowing that nobody in here is perfect, and, and saying, okay, because of that, that means like I, uh, without, without this, I have a broken relationship that can't be fixed. But what Jesus did is he took that record and he canceled it. So again, this is the symbol of freedom. And then from Galatians 5, Paul would say this as well. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, those that are here tonight, have nailed the passions and desires of our sinful nature to his cross. And we've crucified them there. So, again, this is a symbol of freedom to say, like, I don't need to continue to do that anymore. I don't need to continue to wreck my heart and wreck relationships and continue to have the same consequences. I don't need to do that. Also, I don't need to be fearful of death. I don't need to worry about what's next because Jesus Christ said, I want you to know that this is real. This is trustworthy, that I've done this for you. And that's my hope and desire tonight. That again, this is not some religious ceremony, but that you'll ask yourself what this means for you. Another component of the evening that we're going to do, as we always do, is we, we light these candles as we go down the last statements of Christ from the cross. And so we're going to, as uh, they're read, we're going to light them. And, and I want, just as, as this is symbolic, I want you to be able to see this as symbolic, as a sign this evening of what Christ did, because these are going to be lit and stay lit the entire evening that we're here together. And these little pieces of paper that you have, a third symbol, these little pieces of paper that you have in your hand, these black pieces of paper, are a way for you to nail them to the cross. Writing those sins down on that paper, I think, is a real honest moment that you can have. Nobody's going to see what you write down. Nobody else cares what you write down. At the end of the service, somebody's going to take them all down, and we're going to throw them all away. This is a moment for you and God to have some honest time together. Because if you're a follower of Christ, you need to understand that this is, a, again, a place of freedom. This is something real that was done for you, and it means something for you in this life, not just the next. But also, to be able to say, if, I, if you don't know Jesus, to understand that's what we're talking about, is that you can, you can dump it on the cross. You can leave it at the cross. Your sin doesn't have to follow you around. Your sin doesn't have to have a stain on you for all of eternity. So again, then we see that when this thing by the end of this room full of people, when we put all of our little pieces of paper up here, again, it's very visual. And in the Old Testament, God gave them these, these ceremonies to do because he wanted them to feel it. He wanted them to see it. He wanted them to experience it. And that's why we do what we do tonight. And then another component of this year that's a little bit different that we're going to do is we're going to hear from a medical perspective what happened the night that Jesus was crucified. Because also, again, here's what my fear is. Here we are 2,000 years removed from the crucifixion. And for most of us, it's like, oh, Jesus died for my sins. Or we understand kind of mentally that he was crucified. But what do we have for most of us as a picture of that event? Maybe we've seen the Passion of the Christ. Maybe we've seen some other movies or things like that to give us an idea. But for the most part, right, the artwork that we have, like in Jesus hanging on the cross, he just looks kind of bummed out or tired. He's just like, oh, man, this is such a drag. You know, that's what we have. Like, for real, that's what we have. It's this, just like Jesus up there, and he just kind of looks like uncomfortable and tired. Not that he just experienced literally the worst torture a human being could suffer and then being nailed to this thing. And so a couple of years ago, a friend sent me an article written by a doctor, and he said, you know, I think we need to be able to understand really what was happening to Jesus that night. 
And I share that tonight in five different parts. We're going to have different people reading small sections of this article. Not to be all super macabre or like, you know, just miserable about it. But it's, it's something that I think that we need to understand clearly. Because his followers, think about this. His best friends on earth watched this happen to him. And it left an indelible mark on every single one of them. I mean, what they saw their Savior go through is something that they never, ever forgot. And it changed everything. And like I said, it's no overstatement to say that what we remember tonight literally changed human history. So for us to be able to step into that space a little bit better tonight is my desire. That's why we have these people reading these things. Just so we can understand what was going on and what it cost Jesus. Not just by seeing it up here, but also by being able to hear what it cost our Savior. So let me open in prayer and we'll... We'll start with our candles and our statements from the cross. So, Lord, tonight is a, is a somber evening, Lord. And there's a sense for us, 2,000 years later, we're looking backwards on the cross. It's, a, it's also kind of a, a celebratory thing to know that this was the plan all along, and you accomplished it. You did what you said you were going to do. But at the same time, Lord, our, our Savior died. God put himself on a cross for us, Lord. And I just pray that we would be willing to ask those questions, that what, what we experience tonight, Lord, what does that mean for us? Like, what kind of freedom could come from tonight, Lord? You know I've been talking to you all week, Lord, and I've been asking for you to do this work tonight that only you can do. So tonight, Jesus, we give you the space to do the work ultimately that only you can do, Jesus. And I pray that in your name, Lord. Amen. First statement. Uh, the first statement, looking down at the Roman soldiers throwing dice for his seamless garment, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The second, to the apologetic thief, today you will be with me in paradise. The third, Looking down at Mary, his mother, he said, Woman, behold your son. Then turning to the terrified, grief-stricken, adolescent John, the beloved apostle, he said, Behold your mother. The fourth cry is from the beginning of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His fifth cry, I thirst. His sixth statement, it is finished. His seventh and last cry, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. suffered emotional, mental, and physical trauma, as well as public mocking. In the Garden, Luke 22, 44. 
Being in anguish, he prayed more frequently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is an actual medical condition called hematidrosis. It is a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress, such as severe mental anxiety. It can ooze from the forehead, nails, belly button, and other parts of the body. His trial before the Sanherian and Caiaphas and the high priest. A soldier struck Jesus across the face for remaining silent when questioned by Caiaphas. The palace guards then blindfolded him, mocking, taunted him to identify them as each passed by, spat on him, and struck him to the face. Discouraging. Thursday morning. Before Pilate, in the early morning, battered and bruised, dehydrated and worn out from a sleepless night, Jesus was taken across Jerusalem to stand before Pilate. In response to the outcry of the mob, Pilate ordered Barabbas released and condemned Jesus to scourging and crucifixion. Jesus was stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman legionnaire stepped forward with a flagellum in his hand. This was a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead attached to near the ends of each. The heavy whip was brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the weighted thongs cut through the skin only. Then, as the blows continued, they cut deeper into the tissue, producing first an oozing blood from the capillaries and the veins of the skin, and finally, spreading arterial bleeding from vessels in the broken under... Un, sorry, from the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produced large, deep bruises that were broken, uh, broken up from subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back was hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area was an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it was determined by the centurion in charge, that the prisoner was near death, the beating was finally stopped. They threw a robe across his shoulders and placed a stick in his hand for a scepter. They still needed a crown to make their travesty complete. Small, flexible, flexible branches covered with long thorns were made into the shape of a crude crown. The crown was pressed into his scalp and again, there was abundant bleeding as the thorns pierced the thin tissue. After mocking him and striking him across the face, the soldiers took a stick from his hand and struck him across the head, driving the thorns deeper into his scalp. Finally, they tired of their sadistic amusement 
and tore the robe from his back. Golgotha. Half dead, Jesus was then forced to carry his own cross on his back. However, Jesus succumbs to his torture and was unable to carry his cross further. Crucified. The legionnaire felt for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drove a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moved to the other side and repeated the action. The left foot was pressed backward against the right foot. With both feet extended, toes down, a nail was driven through the arch of each. As Jesus slowly sagged down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating fiery pain shot along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists were putting pressure on large nerve trunks which traversed the mid-wrist and hand. As he pushed himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he placed his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there was searing agony as the nail tore through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of his feet. At this point, another phenomenon occurred. As the arms fatigued, great waves of cramps swept over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps came the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by the arm, the pectoral muscles were paralyzed, and the small muscles between the ribs were unable to act. Air could be drawn into the lungs, but could not be exhaled. Jesus fought to raise himself to get even one short breath. Tonight, uh, as we said, uh, we want to take some time to, to reflect on that to just consider what, what God did for you, like what he went through. And so we ask you to just consider for a moment, a short moment, uh, your sins, if you haven't already done that. Uh, and, it, and again, it's like, uh, it's kind of weird, but why would we do this? But again, it's just you being honest about the freedom that's offered. And what, what, what can you leave here tonight? If you know Christ, that means these are the things that Christ died for you for, that you've accepted that, you know, that you've, you've, cha- you've made that life change. But maybe you need to reconsider that, what that looks like for you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we want you to be able to see what is at stake. We want you to be able to see what it means to accept Christ as your Savior and what that not only sounds like and feels like and the excruciating part of that, the reality of that, but again, just a visual here that you get to take part in. So we're going to play a few songs. We're going to sing through. You can sing with us if you want. You can pray and just consider where you are with God. But then during these songs, we'll sing a few of them. Just make your way up. Um, we won't be releasing sections or anything like that. But just as you feel led, come up and, and paste your sins up here. I'll be up here to help you if you need uh, help pushing it in. Um, but if you don't have a, a paper yet, you can grab one right over there. Um, but just take this time to just pray right now. Just see if there's anything else God would say to you this evening. So, Good Friday, 
It's kind of an odd name, um, unless you understand what was actually happening. And I remember years ago, a guy named George Planta gave me these. And uh, he said, you know, Kyle, I think you should hang on to these. And if you knew George, he had everything in his garage that could ever exist, ever. And, but he said, you know, these are something that uh, I, I was looking for a, just a way to remember this and kind of make it real. And he said, I think that you should hang on to these, Kyle. I said, because, you know, this is, this is really, it's heavy to think, you know, that these were, these were driven into our Savior's hands, right? And this is, I mean, the reality of this is the, the weight of them. You know, and these are railroad spikes, but to know that this is, you know, this is a scale of, of what you're talking about. And it just makes it real to understand that this is something that actually happened. And to see the things, just to hear the wood, you know, to hear the metal and to know that Jesus Christ actually did these things. That this is a, a historical event. Because remember, these, we're going to talk about this more on Sunday, but this was a group of cowards and their true colors showed on the night when Jesus would need them most. They all ran from him and his best friend in the whole wide world, Peter, right? Peter, James and John were his inner three and Peter would just deny him. He would be terrified of a slave girl. And in that culture, a slave girl, that was like nothing. That was nobody in that culture. And Peter was terrified of it. And no, 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 I'm not one of the disciples. I don't know Jesus. And here's the savior of the world. And he's all alone. And he's left by everybody. And he's going to face this reality. But again, what did they experience that night? What did they experience that next morning and during that day when Jesus, when this would happen to them? Because again, this is a cultural reality for them that we don't understand 2,000 years later. There's nothing in America that we could say, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty similar. We just don't have that. And so to slow down and say... Again, Good Friday, that sounds like an awkward saying, um, but what is exactly good about it? How did these disciples see this, and how did it affect them? And, and like I asked you to ask yourself earlier, what does that mean for you? Because, man, it certainly changed things for them, what they experienced that night, and then what they understood that this meant for them that night radically changed them. Radically change them. And I wonder, I've been praying for you all, all week long, that God would do something in somebody here that some kind of radical change that only the Holy Spirit of God can do would happen here because you experienced something different. You heard something different. Because they, the disciples had just something that not only affected Jesus, but in a very real sense, left them feeling alone left them feeling scared after he was crucified, and it left them probably feeling like they were next. So that's another thing that's like introduced into this story is uh, everything that was happening in his followers. And if you're a Christian today, that's essentially what you are, is you are a, a follower of Jesus, and you're somebody that is also impacted by this. And I want you to just think, as we just keep introducing ideas from that night, because that's, again, the tradition of Good Friday is about remembering the reality of what happened. And so also that night, I want you to think about this, like, this juxtaposition of, of events. At the beginning of the week, imagine this. Picture this in your mind. This total pandemonium, because here is the person they think is going to be the savior of everything. Here's the guy they think is going to come into town and wipe out the Romans. They're yelling, Hosanna! Right? The crowds are going crazy. God save us, we pray. Right? They're so excited. And think about everybody pressing in, trying to see this Jesus. 
We've all seen the Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade, right? And it's like everybody's pressing in so they can see Snoopy. But here we are. We've got Jesus who's supposed to take out the Romans. You got little kids on dad's shoulders, right? On the tiptoes, just trying to see, where is he, daddy? Oh, he's over there, right? And they just, everybody's just craning their necks to try to see, where is this Jesus? And they're celebrating him. And then just a few days go by. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, they're screaming murderous threats. They want this very same man murdered. Because they thought that they were welcoming in a military hope. They were all excited about something that just was not going to happen because they were hoping for the wrong thing. And this is always the challenge with Jesus. Are you expecting the wrong thing with Jesus? Because we live in a society, we need to be careful about this. We live in a society that says everything is about me and my happiness. And it's going to be really easy for us to do that with Jesus and say, well, he's all about my happiness and all about me. And you are expecting the wrong kind of Savior. Because here's what they were expecting, just to give you a little glimpse into their minds 2,000 years ago. They were expecting a ruling king Messiah from Daniel chapter 7. Let me just read these two verses, because this is what they thought that they were getting. And suddenly, from Daniel, it's about 500 years or so before Jesus, and suddenly, one like a son of man, this is a vision he has, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. So there's just like, you know, this pomp and circumstance and this vision that he's seeing, this Son of Man. Next. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. Absolute and total power from this one. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. They didn't understand that this was not the role that Jesus would play his first time around. One day, yes, certainly. But the first time around, what they got and what they were furious about, what they didn't understand was that they got Isaiah 53, suffering servant, Messiah. That's what he came to do. This was no mistake. The early apostles, Jesus himself, clearly understood this is why Jesus came. And he kept saying it. He was introduced by John the Baptist. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And yet they wanted something else. It's a good lesson for us as well. What do we want out of Jesus? Isaiah 53, 3-6. through 700 years before Jesus, this is said, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like some people, he was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. It's interesting wording. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities or our sin. And punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way. And in spite of that, in spite of that, the Lord has punished him for the sin of us all. This is what Jesus came to accomplish the first time. I mean, how in the world did they miss this? What person, what just average Joe guy can be this person for the nation of Israel? 
And when Jesus comes and he starts talking this way, they just don't understand it because they don't want that. They don't want forgiveness of sin. They don't want redemption in this way. They don't want this kind of relationship with God that is being offered. And I wonder, again, my question for you is, what kind of relationship do you want with Jesus? What are you expecting from him? Exactly. Like, what exactly are you expecting from Jesus? Because if you're wanting him to just be all you, 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 and like and give you what you want, you may end up being very, very disappointed in the creator of the universe, by the way. Because that's a very real possibility. But this is why Jesus came the first time. This is what he offers in the cross. And this is why we repeat these things. Because this is what, ultimately, that group of cowards would all give their lives for. Because they finally understood that this is what Jesus showed up to do. Was to set you free from your sin. And so don't keep returning to it. If you're a Christian, don't keep returning to it. The Bible says a couple different times, that's like a dog returning to its vomit. You ever seen a dog do that? It's gross. And then the dog comes in and wants to lick you, and it's like, get away from me. Right? But do you ever look at yourself that way when you just go back to those old sins that you've given yourself permission to commit? Oh, it's not that bad to be judgmental. It's not that bad to lust privately in my mind. It's not, my, that, that, it's not really that bad to gossip. I'm just passing on a story, that's all. Right? And you're just killing people with your words harsh with your wife, right? Never asking for forgiveness, never apologizing, right? Never giving forgiveness. These are things that we are okay with. These are sins that we are okay with. And God says, I want you to be free from that kind of stuff. And then if you don't know Christ as your Savior, it's Him saying, like, look, you can have a right relationship with God, yes. You can have forgiveness in this life. You can have freedom from sin in this life, yes. But there's also more than just this life. There's an eternity at stake. And that's what Jesus offers us. And so there's a couple verses that I wanted to be able to just look at in light of that, about this plan that God knew. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Peter says about Jesus that he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and full knowledge. This is something that God knew was going to happen. And again, think of that tension. Think about the latter part of that week. Maybe that same kid is on the same dad's shoulder And his dad or her dad is just screaming at the top of his lungs, crucify him, crucify him. And this little kid is just like leaning down. Daddy, didn't we just say this guy was our savior? Why do we want to kill that man, dad? And did dad even know? Did dad even know why he was saying crucify him, crucify him? Just a few days ago, dad, we were saying this guy's our savior. What happened? And that's short a window, right? But God had this plan, and he knew that it was good, even though it seems pretty bleak. Because as we read earlier, there's another verse I want to share, similar to some of the songs we read, similar to some of the things that we said. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, or while we were still even rejecting God, Christ died for us. Right? That's how Isaiah 53, what we just read, ended. That we were off on our own path, all of us, and yet... Even in spite of that, God would say, no, I want relationship with you that much. I'm going to do this. Even though you are rejecting me, I'm going to do this for you. First Peter 3.18, Peter, again, somebody that denied Christ, ran from Christ, would say this. For Christ died for the sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. And we get to share in that. And then again, Paul would say Colossians 2. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. This was God's good plan. This right here. So that, like Peter said, so that we could be with God. Like, do you really see that God desires a relationship with you? Legit, I've been praying that all week long, that you would understand tonight that God wants relationship with you this badly. I've heard it said before, God loves you this much. Right? You ever heard anybody say that? Ever Anybody show that to you? I used to be like, oh, I love you this much. And then one time in church, somebody said, but do you ever think that God loves you this much? It's a profound thing to think that God would love us. In our rejection, in our sin, in our doubt, in our fear, in our hopelessness, that God would say, in the midst of all that, I'm going to step into all that and say, I love you this much. So consider that again and continue to continue to ask yourself. We're going to have a couple more readings. But what is it that God is saying to you tonight? What kind of freedom is he offering you personally tonight? Don't just let it be ceremony. The first, looking down at the Roman soldiers, throwing dice for his seamless garments. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. The second, to the apologetic thief. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. The third, looking down at Mary, his mother, he said, woman, behold your son. Then turning to the terrified, grief-stricken, adolescent John, the beloved apostle, he said, behold your mother. The fourth cry is from the beginning of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, sporadic, partial suffocation, and searing pain as tissue was torn from his lacerated back from his movements up and down against the rough timbers across. Then another agony began a deep crushing pain in the chest as the pericardium, the sac surrounding the heart, slowly filled with serum and began to compress the heart. The prophecy in Psalm 22:14 was being fulfilled. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. The end was rapidly approaching. The loss of tissue fluids had reached a critical level. The compressed heart was struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood to the tissues, and the tortured lungs were making a frantic effort to inhale small gulps of air. Jesus gasped his fifth cry, I thirst. Again, we read in the prophetic psalm, my strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death in Psalm 22:15. A sponge soaked in cheap sour wine that was the staple drink of the Roman legionnaires was lifted to Jesus' lips. His body was now an extremist, and he could feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. The realization brought forth his sixth word, possibly little more than a tortured whisper, it is finished. His mission of atonement had been completed. Finally, he could allow his body to die. With one last 
surge of strength. He once again pressed his torn feet against the nail, strengthened his legs, took a deeper breath, and uttered his seventh and last cry, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The final final section, the death of a king. The common method of ending a crucifixion was by breaking the bones of the legs of the victims to make sure that they would actually just die. So they would come over with a sledgehammer, break their legs so they could no longer push up and get more air. The tension could not be relieved from the muscles of the chest then, and then rapid suffocation would occur. The legs of the two thieves, they were broken, but when the soldiers approached Jesus, they saw that this was unnecessary, fulfilling the rules about not breaking the bones of the Passover lamb. Psalm 34 also prophetically talks about that. So apparently to make doubly sure of the death, the legionnaire drove his lance between the ribs, upward, through the pericardium, and into the heart. John 19.34 states, And immediately there came out blood and water. So there was an escape of watery fluid from the sac surrounding the heart in the blood of the interior of the heart. This is rather conclusive post-mortem evidence that Jesus died not the usual crucifixion death by suffocation, but of heart failure due to shock and constriction of the heart by fluid and the pericardium. So again, why does this matter? Right? Understanding medically even what happened to Jesus Um, The way that they recorded this, the things that they saw, what John would say, what Peter would say, is these are things that we actually saw and heard. We watched him die this death. And now we know why. Looking back, they had that perspective to say, we, we didn't understand at the time. You read Luke 24, his disciples did not know what was going on. They were dejected, they were depressed, they were probably some of them running for their lives assuming they'd be next. But looking back, though, these authors were able to say, now we know. Now we know what he was doing. Now we know that he understood what was happening and where this was all heading. But the details that we have of this moment in history at the cross are pretty unbelievable. Even down to understanding that Jesus died of of heart failure because of what you can see medically happening to his body. It is pretty profound to think that God wants us to have that kind of detail and understanding of what he did for us. But the question still remains, though, how does it change you? You know, Jesus willingly walked this impossibly difficult road. Like, he willingly did that because he wants us to be free in this life. And I just know a lot of Christians who are still struggling with sin, and they just feel like they're alone in that sin and in that struggle. And Jesus says, no, that's what I died for. Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So you can stop being angry. You can stop being hurt. You can stop being bitter. You can let that go and forgive that person. You don't need to keep thinking that. You don't need to keep telling yourself that. You can stop trying to find your identity in six million different things. That's a different way of living that affects this life. And I think if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, there's, there's so much that we can lean into. And not just this picture, not just the cross, not just the, the nails, but understanding that this means something for you personally.
Again, not just the ceremony. But what does it mean for you personally? How will you leave here tonight changed? Because of what you let God do in your life tonight. Because of what you let Him speak in your soul. I wrote some things down because I, I didn't want to forget them. Just things that I was thinking about of conversations I've had lately with people. In the cross, you have a chance to let go of, of pain. Of loneliness. I've talked to people that just feel so alone in the world. And don't realize the community that Jesus is offering you. Even here in this space, in church. People that I've talked to that feel hopeless about things. But finding hope. Just in one case a week later. People I know that are struggling with addiction. That feel like they're never going to get past that addiction. People that have emotional scars. You just don't know what it was like. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they did, Pastor Kyle. And they just have these scars that still affect everything to them. I talk to people that have just fear. They, they just can't get over. And we saw what COVID did with that in the world, that, that the fear that that created in so many ways in the upheaval in society. And there was so much fear that's been created over the last three years that I've talked to people about. There's depression. Again, because of that isolation, that loneliness, that sense of hopelessness that people have, that I've talked with. And just sin. Just people just living in sin and just being okay with it. And feeling the effects of it and the consequences of it. And just not knowing what to do with that. And it's like, for freedom, Christ has set you free. That's what the cross is about. And then even ultimately, the biggest fear that most people have, besides public speaking, is death. And hey, I don't care about either one anymore. Right? It's like God's called us to freedom. Not just in this life, but eternally speaking. Because this is not all that there is. And so, I want you to think. I want to close with this thought. I want you to think. What is it that God is doing in you tonight? What do you need to leave here? Whatever you wrote. The reason we do that is because we want you to literally take part in saying, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to be done with that. Because Galatians 5.1 tells me, and I believe what God tells me, that for freedom Christ has set me free. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I'm not just going to throw it out there how to do that. I want you to come and talk to me. I want to be able to introduce you to the Jesus that did this for you. I want to help you understand that rather than just throwing something quick out. I want to help you meet Jesus and then start to grow in that relationship that is all about freedom. So if you want to know what it means to accept Christ, accept what he did, because Scripture says if you believe in what he did and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because Jesus did this for you. So if you want to know, come talk to Tim. Come talk to me. Come talk to Ed. Come talk to Dean or Terry. You can talk to anybody on the stage. They're like, ooh. You. And we'll help you. Because at Quaybog Church, we want to help people start and grow a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Because that's what it's about. That's what we're here to do is proclaim the good news on Good Friday. It may not seem good, but it is. Because Sunday's coming because Sunday's coming. So Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for just what you do um, in, the, it just, in ways that we can't understand. Lord, I thank you that this is a reality. I thank you that this is something that uh, tonight we remember um, because your disciples said uh, this is the most important thing that's ever happened in history <laughs> and we need to let people know up to and including 
the cost of their lives, Lord. That's how big of a deal this was. That's how real this is, Jesus. So would you help us, Lord, as we leave tonight, wrestle with that. What are we going to do with what we experienced? What are we going to do with what you revealed to us this evening? What are we going to do with what we left here? We're going to pick it up and take it out with us again? Or are we going to leave it at the cross? Are we going to nail it to the cross like your word tells us, Jesus? So, Lord, we give you the space. I pray you do the work only you can do, Holy Spirit. And I ask that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. We just ask that as you leave tonight, just leave quietly. Just kind of just thinking about what God's going to do and what God is doing. And again, if you need to talk, come up and talk to us. God bless you. Have a good night. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.